I'm going to do something a little different, all right? I found um, this uh, visual overview of the Book of Mark, and it's on video, but it's, 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 it's longer than most videos that I, I've shown, but I think it really captures the whole Book of Mark. All right, so we're going to start it off uh, with that, all right? The Gospel According to Mark. It's one of the first accounts of the life of Jesus, and our earliest historical traditions link this book to a Christian scribe named Mark, or John Mark. He was a co-worker with Paul and a close partner with Peter. And in fact, an ancient church historian named Papias, he recalls that Mark had collected all of the eyewitness accounts and memories of Peter and then shaped them into this account. But Mark didn't just randomly throw the pieces together. He's carefully designed this story of Jesus. In the first line of the book, Mark makes this claim about Jesus. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, what's interesting is that this is the only time Mark is going to tell you what he thinks. For the rest of the book, he's going to influence you by simply putting Jesus's actions and words in front of you and showing you how other people react to him. Now, Mark's designed the story of Jesus as a drama with three acts. The first one set in Galilee, the third one is set in Jerusalem, and the second act shows Jesus on the way from one place to the other. And each of the acts focuses on repeated theme. So in act one, everybody's blown away by Jesus and they're wondering, who is this Jesus? In act two, it's the disciples who are struggling to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And then in act three, we watch the surprising paradox of how Jesus becomes the messianic king. Let's just dive in and you'll see how it unfolds. After the opening line, Mark begins with a quotation from the ancient prophets Isaiah and Malachi, who said that God would send a messenger to Israel to prepare them for when God would show up himself to rescue his people and become their king. And Mark introduces John, the Baptist, as that messenger. And then right when you expect God to show up personally, Mark introduces Jesus. And as he comes onto the scene, the heavens open, God's spirit descends on Jesus, and God says, you are my beloved son. After this, Mark places in front of us a summary of Jesus' core message. He went about Galilee announcing the good news that God's kingdom has come near. Jesus is carrying forward the story from the Old Testament scriptures about God's rescue operation for his world. Through Jesus, God is restoring his reign over the world by confronting and defeating evil and its hold on people's lives, and then by inviting them to live under his reign by following Jesus. From here, Mark's given us a big block of stories showing us Jesus' power as he brings God's kingdom. He goes about healing people whose bodies are sick or broken or under the oppression of dark spiritual powers. And Jesus even does something that for Jewish people, only God has the right to do. He forgives people's sins. And Jesus' actions here produce lots of different responses. So some people follow him and become his disciples. Other people don't know what to think, and still others reject him completely, especially Israel's leaders who accuse him of blaspheming God and being empowered by evil. But Jesus isn't surprised by these responses. In fact, he draws attention to it. In chapter 4, Mark has collected many of Jesus's parables about the hidden, mysterious nature of God's kingdom. And Jesus says that his message is like seed falling on different types of soil. Some are receptive, some are not. Or it's like a mustard seed that's very tiny. It seems insignificant, but then it grows huge and surprises everyone. Jesus' point is that he really is the Messiah bringing God's kingdom, but it doesn't look like what anybody expected. 
And this growing confusion about Jesus among the crowds is connected to a key idea Mark emphasizes at the end of Act 1, that even among Jesus' disciples there's confusion. Even they are struggling to grasp who Jesus really is, and that brings us to Act 2. It begins with a crucial conversation. Jesus takes the disciples aside and he asks, who do you all say that I am? And Peter speaks up saying, you're the Messiah. But it becomes clear that for Peter, this means that Jesus is a victorious military king from the line of David who will rescue Israel from the Romans. But for Jesus to be the Messiah means that he's the suffering servant king of Isaiah 53 who will bring God's rule by giving up his life in Jerusalem. And the disciples, they don't get it. They think following King Jesus is going to mean fame and status and importance. And Jesus makes it clear that following him is actually like dying, like carrying your own cross. It means rejecting violence and pride and selfishness and giving one's life out for others in acts of service and love. He has the same conversation with them two more times. And it all culminates in Jesus' important statement that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to become a servant and give his life as a ransom for men. The disciples still don't get it. They respond in confusion and fear. And so here in Act 2, Mark has placed another key story that echoes the book's introduction. Jesus takes three of his disciples up to a mountain, and he's suddenly transformed. He's radiating with light and glory, and a cloud envelops them. Now, this is just like the glory of the God of Israel that showed up long ago on Mount Sinai. And then the two prophets who stood in God's presence on Mount Sinai, Moses and Elijah, they appear next to Jesus as God announces again, this is my beloved son. Now, by placing this story in the middle of all these conversations in Act 2, Mark is making an astounding claim that Jesus, God's Son, is the physical embodiment of God's own glory. And in Jesus, the glorious God of Israel is going to become king by suffering and dying for the sins of his own people. It's a puzzling claim that confuses and scares the disciples as they leave the mountain. Which brings us to Act 3. Jesus makes a very public, royal entry into Jerusalem for Passover. People are hailing him as the Messiah. Then he enters into the temple courtyard and he asserts his royal authority by running out the thieves and crooks and stopping the sacrificial system. Then this kicks off a whole week of Jesus debating and confronting the leaders of Israel, condemning their hypocrisy. And so they set in motion a plan to have him killed. And Jesus warns his disciples, predicting that Jerusalem and its temple will be destroyed within a generation. And his disciples will be persecuted just like him until he returns one day to bring God's kingdom fully over the world. And it all leads up to the final night. Jesus has his last Passover meal with the disciples, a symbolic meal that told the story of Israel's liberation from slavery through the death of the Passover lamb. And Jesus takes these symbols and he gives them new meaning. They point to the liberation from sin and death that will happen through the death of the suffering servant Messiah. From here, the story rushes forward to Jesus' arrest, his trial before Israel's priests and the Roman governor Pilate, all resulting in Jesus' crucifixion. And it culminates in a key scene that matches the important scenes from Acts 1 and 2, except this time it's darkness that descends, not a cloud. And instead of the divine voice from heaven, it's Jesus' voice crying out before he dies. And then most surprising is that it's a Roman soldier who sees Jesus die, who grasps and then announces who Jesus is. This man was the Son of God. 
He's the first person in the story to recognize the story's shocking claim about Jesus' identity, that it's the crucified Son of God who's the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, who died for his friends and for his enemies. After this, Jesus' body is placed in a tomb, and on the first day of the new week, two women from his disciples come to the tomb, and they discover that the tomb is empty, the stones rolled away, and an angelic man informs them that Jesus isn't here, that he's risen from the dead. And so he orders them to go and tell this good news to the other disciples that Jesus is alive, that he'll meet them back up in Galilee. And the women, they're freaked out. Mark says that they fled from the tomb in terror, telling no one, for they were afraid. And that's how the book ends, with Jesus' disciples showing the same kind of fear and confusion that concluded Acts 2 and 1. Now, if you look in your Bible, you'll see that the Gospel of Mark has more to its ending, where Jesus appears, he speaks to his disciples, but there's also a note there telling you that that ending is not part of the original book, that it's only found in later, less reliable manuscripts. Now, it's possible that the original ending got lost, or that Mark actually never finished writing his account, but it's more likely that this abrupt ending is intentional to make a point. The entire story has focused on the shocking claim that puzzled Jesus' disciples from beginning beginning to end, that it's the suffering, crucified, and risen Jesus who's the Messiah, the Son of God, that God's love and upside-down kingdom were revealed as Jesus died for the sins of the world. And so this story ends without closure, and it forces you, the reader, to grapple with this very strange and scandalous claim about Jesus. And are you going to run away like the disciples? Or are you going to recognize Jesus as your king and go and tell the good news? And only you can answer that question. And that's what the Gospel of Mark is all about. Got to get the lights. <laughs> Forgot. And that's the adventure we're going to be taking for the next uh, 10 weeks. Uh, today, we're going to just focus in uh, on chapter one a little bit, but let's pray and um, ask God for some help. Father, thank you for your book, um, the book of Mark, and uh, how you chose him, and you chose that book to tell your story. Father, I pray that over the next 10 weeks, that um, that story, we would not just hear that story, we would not just hear that account, but we would begin to put ourselves there, and that we would begin to um, just wrestle with it and that your truth would just sink deep into our hearts and that our lives would be changed, that you would meet us exactly where we are, that all of us are in different places and, and that you're going to use this book, you're going to use this account uh, from the Gospel of Mark to really meet us right where we are and change our lives. Father, we just ask. And so we say, come Holy Spirit, Will you come and illumine the word of God that we would receive the truth and the truth would truly set us free. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the reason why um, this is such an important series and, and, and why we um, are doing this is, is to encourage all of us, to encourage all of you to make Jesus your king and to really begin to follow him um, by living a more selfless life. And that's what that first series was all about, that, that challenge to go beyond a self-focused kind of life into a selfless life where Jesus is our king and that um, when we know him and we follow him, 
the adventure begins, you know. And so the key verse in Mark really is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of, God, Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and others and give his life as a ransom for many. And, and that's the heart. That's the heart of why Jesus came. And that's what we celebrated this morning, that Jesus came to die. That he came to die for all of us. That he would make a way home to heaven. And that heaven is our home. And, and with sin, we were... Um, we were separated from God, and Jesus came to reconcile us back. And, you know, this week, you know, we had uh, a couple of memorial services. And I just, you know, as I was preparing for, for this week and preparing for the message and thinking about Mark and, and, and thinking about, you know, the, the, these two services and, and all the people involved in it, and I thought, you know, I'm so grateful that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Because you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I would be emotionally and stuff if, if Jesus didn't do what he did. And, and I don't know how I would feel about how things are if people didn't grab hold of the truth that Jesus came and he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that the hope that we have, because, you know, as we, as we bid aloha to Sonny Olivares, ah, oh, sad, it's sad. But there is so much hope because of what Jesus did that he's now in his home in heaven. And one day that I am going to see Sonny again. You know, that's hope. You know, uh, Deva Yadamari's mom, Doris, you know, yesterday was her memorial service. And I thought the same thing. I looked as, as Dave was speaking and, and sharing about his mom and his sister was sharing about uh, her mom. And I thought, you know, what God has done in this family's life and that there's hope that they're both looking forward to, be, to a reunion uh, with their mom and father in heaven. And what would it be like? I mean, really, what would it be like if that was it? That that, that was it, a final goodbye. That, that, you know, instead of being in their home in heaven, you know, where Jesus prepared a way, that they wouldn't be there. How, how great would heaven be, you know, without that for Dave, you know, for Sandra, without Sonny being there? And I thought, you know, that's why we exist as a church. At the end of the day, that's why we exist. That, that we are here to carry on the mission because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why we're here, you know. And it just spurred me on. You know, I just kept thinking over and over. Just, I said, you know, I know people who don't know Jesus yet. And I don't know. Because life is so fragile that when might be their last and the last opportunity I have. And I think like, oh, you know, we don't want to offend people. Well, you know, if Jesus did come and if this is the truth and Jesus is our Savior and that's the only way to heaven, how offensive is that? If that is the truth, how offensive is that? 
And then I think, okay, well, it's, you know, for some people it might be, but, but for me to risk being offended so that someone could enjoy their home in heaven for all eternity, man, it's, that's got to be worth it. That's got to be worth it. And so my encouragement to you is that let's, let's allow God to speak to us through this book. Let's get to know this Jesus. And all of us can know him better, but let's get to know this Jesus who made the way for us to be reconciled with the Father. Let's, let's really invest our time. And not just like, okay, I'm going to go service on Sunday, but, but let's really get into this one. Say, Holy Spirit, will you speak to me that I want to be your follower in greater ways? That how great would it be is if, if we could start and we could live every day knowing we did exactly what God wanted us to do because what God wants us to do is absolutely perfect. And it'll be just the, the, the things that we would experience, the joy we would experience, the rewards that we would see through following Jesus, how awesome would that be? You know, and, and it's all over. It's not just for a pastor and all these guys. It's for everybody. You know, Coach Reed Takatsuka, you know, one thing we pray every year. We don't want to pray. We don't pray for the, the best players to come. We, play, we pray for the right players to come. And every year, that's what God does. You know, as Reed humbles himself and says, God, you know what? Whoever you bring, bring in the right people to, to be a part of this team. You know? And as he humbles himself, God brings in the right people. And this is like crazy to me. You know? As some people try to come in, they're not necessarily the right people. God kind of makes that clear, and then they go somewhere else. <laughs> right, Reed? I mean, that's happened every year. People go elsewhere. And then the people that stay. And when you look at this team, it's a testimony of when you follow Jesus, God will begin to work things out. Because when you look at this team, this is not the most talented team. This is not the, the most physical team, the most any team. But this is a team. God brought them together. And when we follow Jesus, man, we'll just see some incredible things. And we're going to say, is that coincidence? It's never a coincidence, you know. And even when we go and we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is right there, you know. Because it's not always going to be fun, right? And so I want to encourage you. And I want to encourage you to get a study guide. Grab people together. You know, if you think, oh, I don't have time for a, a, a that's a nice shirt, by the way. Uh, you, know, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't have time to go to, you know, maybe if you're married, just you and your wife, you and your husband go through that. Maybe grab the whole family and do that once. You know, but, but get together. You just heard some people at work. Do whatever but get in, get into the word, and let's see what God does. And so this morning, we're just going to look real quick at the beginning like an intro. And um, uh, the first thing is that, that Mark, he goes right into it. You know, he, he, he doesn't have a long introduction. In fact, the first, the first verse is like the title of, of, of the whole book, you know. And what we see is, is when we read the beginning, we realize something. That, that Jesus has come, and it starts with John the Baptist, and it goes from him to all of us, that we're all included from the very beginning. And so in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of God. That's it. This whole 
this whole book, this whole gospel, this whole account is all about the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That's who he is, and that's what this is about. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord's coming, for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. And Mark says, this is it. It starts with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's about Jesus, the Son of God. And it's about his good news that he's come to be our Savior. And that's what it's all about. And, and he's saying that, that this is the Savior, this is the Messiah that you, know, that you all have been waiting for for a long time. He is the long-awaited Messiah. This is it. And he says, I'm going to show you that he is, a, he is the long-awaited Messiah. And because there's a couple of verses in the Old Testament that he kind of quotes and he kind of refers to. One is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Look, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord that you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eager is surely coming, said the Lord of heaven's armies. And then in Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And, and, and Mark says that it's all about Jesus and that God has sent a messenger and it all starts with John the Baptist and he's preparing the way for the Lord to come. You know, that's his whole ministry is to prepare for the way of the Lord. And that is really, really interesting. And it's interesting to all of us because when God had called me and he said, Mark, I want you to start this church, you know? And I, and I said, okay, God, you know, I guess, but, but I, I would love to have a clear word from you to confirm what you're calling us to do, confirm this step of faith, because this is a big step, you know? And I prayed, and, and one day when I prayed, I, I just had this really clear vision, you know? It wasn't a dream, it was like a vision, and I could see that I was in charge of this, this really large construction site and this project, and it involved hundreds and hundreds of people. And I found it really interesting is as I looked at this group of people, they weren't wearing like, you know, hard hats and, you know, construction kind of clothes. They, they, they were dressed like how you would see people dressed in, like in downtown, you know, Ren Spooner, you know, the whole thing, walking around, that kind of stuff, you know. And um, um, they were there, and then before us was this vast, this huge canyon, you know, like Waimea Canyon, something like Grand Canyon, something like that. And I just knew that our task, for some reason, I just knew that the task for us these hundreds of people were to go in and fill in this, this, this canyon. And then in the distance, past the canyon, there was this mountain. And for some reason, I knew that the next step would be to level that, that mountain, mountain, you know. And that um, I wasn't sure what that exactly necessarily meant. Because I knew it wasn't literally like find a canyon and start filling it with dirt. I knew that wasn't it, you know. But... But the Lord led me, and I said, God, man, I, I need something. I need something, you know. And I had this vision about the canyon and the mountain. And then the Lord just led me to Isaiah 43 uh, and 4, the verse that Mark refers to at the beginning. And, 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 and in light of this vision, I read Isaiah 40 
A voice is of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And I thought, whoa. Okay, God, loud and clear. And from that moment on, I just knew that's what we're going to do, that we've got to be a church. And he's saying to us, prepare the way for the Messiah. And for some people, they're going to have to, you know, there's, there's valleys, there's hurts that's got to be filled up. In other areas, there's, there's tall mountains that, that they can't find God. And, and those got to be leveled. But whatever we do, we're here to prepare the way for people to come and to know the Savior. And from that moment on, it was clear. And that the, the, the message and the call of John the Baptist, that extended to all of us, that we're to be a people and a church to prepare the way of the Lord. And then he goes on, Mark goes on, and he says something really interesting. He's saying, as we follow, it's about being identified with Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That there is an identification that we need. That who are we going to identify ourselves with? You know, some of you in here with a Jerry Rice jersey back there and a 49 shirt here, you're identifying with the team. Yeah? And, and, and what Mark is talking about, there, there's got to be an identification. Who are we going to be identified with? When people see you, who are you going to be like, okay, who is Mark with? Right? You know? Who is Mark with? And, and there's an identification, but it is also an empowerment that goes in. Verse 5. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. I guess that's gluten-free. I don't know. But, uh, you know, something like keto diet. I don't know. But locusts and honey. And John announced, someone is coming who is greater than I. I am. So much greater that I am not worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. And he says this, I baptize you with water but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what he says. And, and John the Baptist went around preparing the way for Jesus to come. And his whole message was repent. Turn away from sin. Turn to God. You know, that was his whole message. And, and, and be baptized, you know, uh, as, as an act where you're going to die to your sin and be alive in Christ. And that's kind of water baptism for us. And that same message that John has is the same message we have. We go around and say, people, you know what? There's a Messiah. There's, 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 there's a Savior. And he came for you. And he came to die for all of your sins and, and just turn away from your sins and turn. To, that's our message. That was the message of John the Baptist. That's our message. And, and, and he was saying, look, my message and my baptism is a baptism and a message unto repentance. And that's kind of what water baptism is all about. You know, you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, right? And that's why we do it in a public place, right? We go to Alamana Beach Park. We don't just do it in here. It would be kind of hard to do it in here, but we don't do it in here. We just go out in a public place because it's a 
public identification that I am a follower of Christ and that as we are baptized, we are dying to ourselves and our sin and we are being lifted up into, new, into a new life. That we identify ourselves with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and we're, we now begin to walk in new life. And we do that because Jesus commands us to do that. Jesus himself, John baptized, you see. And, and, and there is a sense that we need to be identified as a follower of Jesus. That's got to be our identity, you know, more than anything else. When I look at people and I think, that's a Christ follower who happens to be an accountant. That's a Christ, and that's what you want. You don't want, that's an accountant, and oh yeah, by the way, I, I think he's a Christian, right? That, that first and foremost, you should be, that's Todd China, and he is a Christ follower who happens to be a doctor, right? Okay. And then John the Baptist, he went around, preparing that message, but he also says something really, really amazing, right? He said, Jesus has come, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He said, that's what, and it's like, what does that mean, that we're going to be baptized? What, what does that look like? And then we have in Acts chapter 2, we, we, at Pentecost, we, we see an example of that, where they were waiting, the Holy Spirit came, and, and they began to speak in, in different tongues. But, but even more than that, Peter goes out and he preaches. This Peter who weeks earlier had denied Christ, denied even knowing Christ. And now he's out there with boldness that he never had. And he preaches this message and thousands come to the Lord and the church begins, you know. And we see that and, and we see the... The, the, the followers that were there when the Holy Spirit came and they went out and they began to share the good news of Jesus with the world, so much so that within weeks, the, the officials of the city are saying, you guys are, you, guys are, you guys are messing things up. You filled all of this city. You filled all of this city with teachings from that Jesus guy. The whole city. And they went out. And they performed miracles and supernatural signs and wonders. And it was all evidence that they had been baptized with the Holy Spirit and his power. And, and what Mark is saying is that there is a baptism that, that we are going to be baptized and, and identified with Jesus. But we're also going to get something amazing called the Holy Spirit. And the word for baptize is a transliteration from the original Greek word, um, a baptizo. And baptizo is that same root word that um, another word that's used in the Bible is like bapto. You know, so the baptizo and bapto. And, and, and a good example of, of how that all works together and what baptizo is and all that, it, it comes from um, this Greek poet and physician, Nicander, and he lived about 2000, uh, 200 B.C., and it was, of all things, uh, a recipe for pickles, of all things, right, where he uses these words. And, and he says, it, and, and, and scholars look back and say, you know, it's really um, helpful because he uses both words. And so Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the, the cucumber, the vegetable, first has to be dipped, 
right? And he says that dip, that's bapto, right? So there's that, that element where it just dipped uh, into boiling water. And then it's baptizo, it's baptized in the, the solution, you know, where it just soaks and it marinates. And he said the first one is a quick dipping into boiling water because then if you leave it too long, then I don't know, you get something else, I think. But you just dip it real fast and then, then you put it and you let it soak and you marinate that in this solution. And, and that first one is the quick dipping and the second, this act of baptizing, it, it is, is really producing a, a, a permanent change, right? The, the cucumber or whatever is transformed into a pickle, it just changed. And what's helpful about that is, is, is when, when Jesus said to be baptized, and when John went around baptizing, they knew the word, baptizo. And they knew it, it wasn't just a, a dipping. And that's why we don't subscribe to, like, you know, uh, when you get baptized, you come and you sprinkle water or something like that. Because it's a full immersion, right? It's not just a dipping, you know? And, and, and what it represents is when we are baptized, that we're to be changed. That it, it's, a, it's a permanent soaking into the death and resurrection of Jesus. That we're, we're no longer, I'm no longer Mark. I'm Pickle Mark. You know, no, you know what I mean? I, I'm just, I'm identifying with Jesus now. It's like, oh, that, that's, that looks like Mark. But he's really different because the mark we knew, every other word was salty language, and Mark was famous for even making up some, you know, and, and Mark was like, but that looks like Mark, but he, he's different now. He says, oh, gee, and golly, and, you know, whatever, and he said, there's a change because there's an identification, and so when Jesus when Mark says that Jesus is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, it's not just a whoop, but it's, 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 it's that, that we get to be marinated and soaked, and we're supposed to be in and experiencing the Holy Spirit all the time. It, it, we, we're to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and what, I, what I think about is I think, man, if that's what God has done, for all of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, then it's like, whoa, like we should be experiencing so much more. We should be experiencing so much more power in and through our lives. And I'm praying that over the next few weeks, we would grab hold of that, that we would just grab hold of that, you know? And so, we carry on a mission that started with John the Baptist, you know, that, that we are to be identified with Jesus, but we're also empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then what Mark says is that when we follow Jesus, it's going to involve opposition. It, it is. You know, he goes on. One day Jesus came from, uh, from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River and Jesus came out of the water saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. See, that's exactly what happens. And a voice from heaven says, you are my dearly beloved son and you bring me great joy. And then the Spirit compelled Jesus 
to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, but the angels took care of him. Jesus was obedient to the Father. He was obedient to his instructions, to his leading, and he went out into that wilderness, and he faced opposition from Satan for 40 days. And throughout his earthly life, Jesus encountered much opposition. And, and what Mark is saying is that we will experience opposition as well, that we have the same enemy that Jesus faced, that the devil is going to do everything he can, everything he can to stop us. But, but we are identified with Jesus. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We just take, keep taking steps. And you know what? The, the enemy can do whatever he wants. But we says, you know, no, I'm just going to keep moving forward. And as we do, like Jesus, he will send angels. He will send the help we need, and he will take care of us. See? And that's what Mark is talking about. See, I want to encourage you that that, that we're in this study for a reason, that God led us to the book of Mark. And so take advantage. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Make a decision to really seek God, get to know Jesus in a greater and deeper way this next so many weeks. Just let him come and, 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 and become marinated in him so that when, when the 10 weeks are up, that you be a pickled whoever. Pickled Ensign, pickled Mel, pickled, you know, right? Pickled Bill. You know, that'd be a great thing, that we would end up being pickled. Whether you're a sweet pickle or a dill, it don't matter. Okay? But let's go ahead and do that. And as, and as Joe said last week, how important it is for us to get into God's Word daily. And that's what this is all about. We're just going to give you a taste on Sunday. You know, but I want to encourage you, man, get a study guide, get in a group, get with a group of people, get with somebody, you know, get with somebody. If you got a number 80 jersey on, Jerry Weiss, find a Montana, all right, okay? Montana to Rice, and you guys just do it together, all right? Okay, but, but please, please, you know, make a decision to trust Jesus, and take those small steps of obedience. One of the things I pray every day now, I say, God, I choose right now to follow you. Now show me what you want me to do. And I just pray that over and over every minute. I say, God, I, 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 want, I, want, I want my life to so be that every minute of every day, I'm just doing what you want me to do. You know, I'm just wanting to do that. So please, take steps, okay? God's got us here for a reason and a purpose. You're here today for a reason and a purpose. And God... God wants so much more for you, that God wants to, wants to bless you so much that he wants you to be the most joyful pickle around. You know, that's who he wants you to be. Why don't you stand with me and uh, um, let's pray. Then I call the worship people up and they can lead us in a song. Get to know Jesus. He is amazing. He's more amazing than you could ever imagine. And he loves you so much, he wants to transform your life. He's not this master that wants to beat you. He, he created you. He created you. And he wants you to walk 
you know, he wants you to walk in all that he created you for. How great is that? That's who Jesus is, you know. And, and today, if, if you're here and, you know, you, maybe you've been, you've, been, you've been really kicking the tires of, of Christianity around and wondering, you know, yeah, maybe today's that day for you. Just say, you know what, I'm in. I'm in. That today I make a decision, I'm going to get to know this Jesus. I'm going to grab hold. That he came to seek and save that which was lost, that's me. And just grab hold of that, all right? So let's pray. And, and maybe, you know, for some of you, it's like, oh, I've been far from God. I need to come back. But let's pray with me, you know. So, Father, I just thank you for your love, for sending your son. I receive your son, Jesus, as my Savior. I cannot understand now. I don't understand fully, but I, I want to get to know this amazing, amazing Jesus who came to die for my sins. And so I confess that I'm in need of a Savior. Jesus, I grab hold of you. Now will you begin to, to fill me and baptize me with the Holy Spirit? Will you just so transform my life? Will you just so transform my life that more than anything, my identity would be found in you and that every minute of every day I would experience the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so use us, Father, to carry on that mission to seek and save that which was lost. Use our church. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.